I can't tell you how much fun it is to interview someone who's been an inspiration to me, such as Jordan Harbinger. Uh, he's been podcasting for over a decade. It's hard to believe when you look at him, he's got such a baby face. But the things you're going to learn today really set you off on a path to either succeed as a podcaster, do so with authenticity, or perhaps seek out new paths in your career, in your relationships, and in any other endeavor which requires some amount of creativity, some amount of introspection, some amount of reflection on what it really means to be a completely fully rounded individual. And Jordan is one of the best I know. He does such deep research from all of his guests. I was honored to be on his show a couple months ago, and I was actually blown away. He did research that even some of my graduate students weren't capable of doing. Uh, and uh, you'll hear a little bit about that in today's interview. He's uh, really uh, a rising star, pun intended. Uh, but the fact that he's been rising for well over a decade tells you that he's on a path to go somewhere extremely special. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode recorded over the summer 2020 uh, and making use of probably more time than he intended to give to me. But he's such a generous person, such an influence. And I want to thank Jordan for all he's done for me personally and all he does for, for the planet. How many people can you say that about? Enjoy this interview with none other than the eponymous Jordan Harbinger. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. everybody to the Into the Impossible podcast. I am your fearful host, Brian Keating, professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego, and co-director of the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination, where we run the Into the Impossible podcast. The name Into the Impossible, of course, comes from one of Sir Arthur C. Clarke's famous three laws of nature, uh, one of them being uh, the, uh, the uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And my guest today uh, dis, uh, distinguished himself via the impact he's made on podcasting, uh, not only taking a show basically from nothing, a self-made man, not in the robotic sense where he could assemble himself, mm. although I'm sure he could do that, but actually making himself over from uh, a lawyer to being a law student, at least, then going to forming one of the best top-ranked podcasts in the world, then uh, losing that uh, as, as some of us have lost other, other things in our lives. Uh, and then rebuilding it better than ever, a new podcast called The Jordan Harbinger Show. Uh, Jordan, first of all, welcome. How are you doing? How are you hey. sheltering today? I'm, I'm sheltering well, thank you. I moved in with my brother-in-law, which is not exactly what they had in mind with shelter in place, probably, but whatever. <laughs> and I'm building a house next door. So I'm building new shelter. Can you say that for yourself? No, you can't. <laughs> Taking shelter in place to a new extreme. I am building a whole new shelter that didn't even exist before. So that's how serious I'm taking this. And uh, I just had a kid who's now 11 months old. So he came into the world and, and destroyed our ability to go and do anything just in time uh, for COVID to come and destroy everyone's ability to go and do anything. So he was, it's he actually prepping you. It's honestly, I, I hate to make light of this, but we kind of have to, or we're all going to go insane. Yeah. It's been quite convenient to have a new baby during this time because nobody can do squat anyway. So the feeling of FOMO is non-existent. Yeah. Um, that's the bright side for me, you know, on this is, <laughs> is like, you know, before when he was really young, people were like, Hey, I'm renting a 
beach house. Why don't you come down? And I'm like, I got a three week old baby, man. Yeah. I'm not doing that, you know? And, and it would be like, Oh, why don't you bring the baby to Taiwan? And we're like, uh, he's too young. <laughs> and then COVID hits and we're like, Oh, Okay, so even the Instagrammers are now like, here's my basement. You know, right, so exactly. Yeah. Like, well, we I have, have a rule. I have yeah. a rule that anytime you get two excuses uh, for for one reason, it's it's mm. uh, one of them is a lie. Basically, you know, like, oh, my cat died and there was traffic on the freeway. You know, you know, one of those is a lie because one of those would be sufficient, right? And so I kind of feel like, you know, Jaden was already the trump card that superseded anything, your, your young uh, son. Yeah. And uh, you didn't need the pandemic, but now you've got double the excuses. So Right, no, no. And it's not even just the excuse. It's that, like, we don't feel like other people are out doing all this amazing no. stuff and we're missing out because yeah. they're not they're all at home and I, I kind of feel bad for a lot of my friends who they're like oh we were gonna have kids last year but you know we decided to wait and i'm like ooh, now would have been a great time to have an infant and just sit at home and you know write for the that doctor's book. appointments right <laughs> well even then now i mean yeah you're probably right but now um a lot of doctors are i think doing house calls I could be because they want to keep mm. at least in California, there's house calls going on uh, with some doctors because they're like, we don't want you to come in if you're sick. Like the worst thing you can do is come in and see the receptionist yeah. and sit in the waiting room and then use Please, the bathroom. Yeah, and right. Yeah. Um, so around here, it's actually been quite nice. We also and I'm because I'm in Silicon Valley, which is actually kind of the heart of we're like the West Coast HQ of infections right now. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of. Hey, let's be extra careful. Um, there are doctor's appointments, but you'd be, I don't know why, but there haven't been that many. Mm. Maybe really it's because I, I have twins. And so that's like, eight oh, you have twice so as many. So it yeah, seems like yeah. a lot. Yeah. That's yeah, possible. yeah. I wanted to first uh, start with something that I always associate with you, um, which is this trait of gratitude. And I want to uh, give a shout out to a, to a mutual friend. Actually, I don't even know how you guys know each other, but Connor Beaton runs the Man Talks oh, yeah. podcast. And about two or three years ago when my book came out on losing the Nobel Prize, uh, he somehow found me and invited me on his show. And we did my first ever like big time podcast. You know, I'd done podcasts for my own, uh, but it was the first, you know, kind of internet or nationally known podcast. He's a well-known guy. And we recorded it and we use a software that I think you use, you know, or maybe it's a different one. And I was like so stoked after the podcast, I just closed up the laptop. I was like, all right, we're done. That's whew, that was that was wonderful. And then like weeks went by and I'm like, uh, hey Connor, any word on when the podcast's gonna run? You know, the book's out. I'd love to, you know, have some promo and it'd be great to to see it live because I had such a good time. I didn't respond for a couple of times that I emailed him. Finally, I was like, God, did I did he not record it? <laughs> Is something wrong? Uh did did it not work out? And then I emailed him like did you not record it or was there a problem on my seat? He's like, yeah, unfortunately, um, I, I hate to have to do this, but we're gonna have to do it again. And I said, oh, you know, it's okay. I mean, he's so fun and nice to talk to that I took it, you know, kind of looked on the bright side and said, okay, it's another hour to spend with a super interesting guy. Uh, and, you know, I could have been like, oh, you, a, you know, you're unprofessional. How could you? But, you know, he's such a great guy and it's such an interesting show. And then a couple of days later, he's like sends, uh, sends a, a non-double opt-in email, shall we say, uh, to you and copies me on it um, and tells you all the great things about me and uh, all these lies. 
guys and so forth. But then he, <laughs> and then he, you know, and then we took it from there and it took two years. Eventually I got on your show and then eventually you helped me get on James Altucher's show. And then uh, James had me, uh, came on my show and we recorded a three hour long interview. So, you know, I hope you've got another three hours to go to match up with James Altucher. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, just kind of gone from leaps and bounds. But if it hadn't been, you know, if I had kind of not taken the bright side, which you have, you know, said many times that you pursue the path of like, let me see how this could be skewed towards the good. And I, I associate that trait with you. And by using this, this kind of tactic that you helped me develop to see the gratitude in the situation of having to record the second episode, lo and behold, I've been connected to wonderful people in an industry and, and tried to become, you know, sort of a semi-professional, although don't, don't tell our governor that that's what I do. Uh, but no, no, I'm not professional at all. I don't make any money on this. But I want to thank you for that, um, uh, for, for kind of, you know, setting these things in motion uh, for me and, and being a role model, not only to me, but to many people in the podcast world. And uh, first thing is, you know, now that you had me on the show, are you depressed because all your, you know, dream guests are, you know, can only let you down from me? I mean, where do, where do we go from, from here? here? Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it has been tough, but we have figured out ways to, I mean, I had Ray Dalio on recently, so he oh. came pretty close to matching your performance on the show. <laughs> um, you know, but I always have, Don't I can always it. look back on my Kobe Bryant episode if I want to see somebody who's just on par with what you deliver. That's right. That's as right. Well. And, um, you know, so uh, the one thing that I want to get into maybe later is, you know, how you, how the podcast has been developed basically from scratch twice. And, um, but the main thing, the first thing I want to talk about is your unusual background. I mean, you mm -hmm. were a law student. Uh, I don't think you ever practiced law, right? I did. And oh, I passed did. the okay. bar in New York and I'm still a lawyer, but thanks for doing your homework, Brian. <laughs> well, job. you're not no my wonder, lawyer. No, no wonder you didn't get that Nobel prize. There's a lot of loose ends in this, uh, prep here. Well, <laughs> the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, is, is the reason that you left law, cause you're no longer a practicing lawyer. At least uh, you tell me that you're not my lawyer on every show. I listen. That's to. right. I assume you're talking to me. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it was that worse than living in North Korea. Cause I understand you did live in North Korea. I, I went to North Korea four times. North I never okay. lived there. I don't okay. think uh, that would have been a, that would have been quite a feat and would have probably also been really, uh, there's a, I, I can imagine there's limited options for dining and other things <laughs> like that, it, it, that, that you quickly exhaust your resources living in a place like that. Um, which is worse, the law, law profession or North Korea? Yeah, I mean, the work hour, it depends where you work, right, uh, what firm you're at. But I, I didn't mind being a lawyer. It was long hours. But I also worked for a cool firm that later went under because, mm -hmm. you know, just it, it, the, we were over leveraged in 2007, big time. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, I didn't mind being a lawyer. You know, mm -hmm. I worked with cool people. I learned a lot at the firm. I just wasn't interested in it, which wasn't their fault. It wasn't like, oh, these people are all jerks. I can't stand them. There was nothing like that, really. It was just a matter of... I never wanted to be a lawyer. I went to law school because I had a hard time getting a job after college, mm -hmm. even though I had a four-year degree from the University of Michigan mm -hmm. and spoke different languages. It's just, you know, they didn't teach us how to get jobs. And mm. I'm not blaming them, but also when you're 21 and you went to college and you think you're supposed to get a job after that and nobody even shows you step one of like how to find jobs, it gets a little, it gets a little crazy. Yeah. It gets crazy. And I went to law school because I thought, well, at least then I'll have a better education. And then, of course, once you graduate with fr from a trade school, which is what law school is, it's just a really expensive, in, in fact, quite overpriced trade school. 
then they recruit you, especially in a hot market. So we had this kind of really easygoing for me because I didn't worry about it because um, I didn't care where I worked. This recruiting thing where they they took over a motel, you know, somewhere in North Campus, and all these firms came in and and said. Okay, who wants to work here? Hand us your resume, and if you're not a complete a hole, you get a second interview in New York City. You know that was like if you have a pulse and you're not picking your nose and wiping it on your sock during the interview, you're hired. Right. Kind of deal. And do you feel like uh, that training, you know, as as is kind of commoditized as it is, it does teach you at least, you know, from what I see on TV, which is, you know, of course, a representation of reality, uh, <laughs> perhaps not. But uh, but you know, did that teach you? Because you have this um, especially acute auditory and verbal communication ability, which you know you don't rely on video as much as as other people do. Although perhaps you're going to get more into that. I want to talk to you about that later because um, you know there's a notion that in but in, in psychology that the voice is actually deeper than the eye mm. and that you're not supposed to rely on eyewitness testimony and things like that. But I'm wondering sometimes, I mean, you're like a super friendly cross-examiner. Like you really dig deep, you do research harder than anybody I, uh, you know, that I know. I mean, you found an article about uh, Maria Mayer who is behind me behind me over here. There she is on the wall. Mm. She's the uh, second woman to ever win a Nobel Prize in physics. And I had been told by her son at an event in person in 2011, when they had a stamp dedicated to her after she passed away and her son has since passed away. And he told me when she won the Nobel Prize, the headline in the newspaper was San Diego mother housewife wins Nobel Prize. <laughs> and I was like, I can't, I, I got to find that headline. I couldn't find it. And I didn't find it until the show notes from our episode came out and somehow you found it. So mm -hmm. I guess it's way of saying like do these skills from law school translate evidence searching you know research and then also cross-examination did they not prove helpful to you in this career that you have now 2020 hindsight they did but if you'd asked me right when i came out of law school and into interviewing for the jordan harbinger show if i'm using the rules of not really the rules of evidence but to some degree like rules of evidence legal research uh principles i would be like no i'm not using any of that crap but but truthfully there is a notion in me now, a, a, a sensibility that you need to go beyond the headline or that certain arguments are deliberately misleading or just misleading, maybe not even deliberately misleading. So I typically, on the, when I do research for the Jordan Harbinger show, I'll look up an, an article with a perspective and that perspective might say something along the lines of, Oh, well, you know, these these numbers say this, therefore that. And I'll be like, well, it could mean that. Let's find expert testimony. I don't call it expert testimony. I call it another perspective. Secondary. But that's what expert testimony really is, is like, who is writing about this that is not writing for rightwingcrazy.org, you know, blog? Let's have them interpret these numbers. And then you'll find someone who'll go, huh, okay, well, these numbers are true, but they, that's not what this means when you, this isn't the conclusion you draw from these. And then there's this other statistic that is just complete bullcrap that they made up. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. And then you'll look at another blog and another perspective or another article, and it's like, well, these numbers are right, and this is the conclusion you draw from it, but the conclusion and what the author of this piece is now saying are actually like he's deliberately mischaracterizing that conclusion or the context of that conclusion or something along those lines. And that comes from what I learned in law school 
but also it turns out to be just what everyone now has to do because we can't count on people to give us the truth. We're, now we're now we're looking at I now look at media like they're advocating for a perspective, which is exactly how you argue in a courtroom. You go, well, this and this and this and this. And if you take it at face value, you're in trouble because that's what this person's lawyer is saying and they're arguing for their client. Whereas now I'm going, okay, well, what's the other side of this? Because we really can't hear any argument until we have the other side because you don't, you only have one version of events. Yeah. So what's really going on? So I, I take all my research and show prep for the Jordan Harbinger show and I go, okay, what is it exactly that we're looking at that, that is going to deliver a conclusion here? And is that conclusion what this person wants us to see, or is this what essentially is, it, what, what is the truth? How do you balance that with, you know, you don't want to entrap your, your witness host, your guest rather, you know, I find like yesterday I had on Noam Chomsky, who's, you know, the world's most no big cited. deal. Yeah, yeah. He's just, he's just the world's most cited intellectual in human history. Um, and I disagree with a mm. lot of his politics and, and some of his opinions and You're I, not an anarchist or whatever. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, he's you know super far left, but now he's come so far left. It's like walking around the equator. You come back <laughs> to where you were, but, but here he, I am in New Guinea again. And how did that happen? And I was thinking, you know, he just had this huge thing in Harper's Magazine where he co-signed with J.K. Rowling. And I could have like been like, well, how could you do this? And I know we get a lot of clicks and I didn't do that. I mean, I mentioned J.K. Rowling and it was actually a good opportunity for him to say, look, it, mm. the people that are criticizing me for the people who signed after me on this letter of intellectuals uh, demonstrate their fundamental irrationality. First of all, the guy speaks in complete paragraphs, like structured 300 word paragraphs. And he doesn't ever say, um, or uh or because it's perfectly well formed it's about this volume and he's just so brilliant but i knew i could say look you and elon musk have a beef you know he called you an idiot he said you're a moron and you know i could really blow that up but you know and, and that'll be good for clicks and clickbait and, and actually he would talk about it i mean i did mention elon musk but how do you balance that you know because you want to be known as you know some hostile prosecutor and you're never like that but you must have had guests besides me where you're like this guy's full of you know what and like i just mm -hmm. this this total nonsense. So how do you balance that, you know, kind of being a mensch as you are, but also kind of just going for the truth and, 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 you know, suppressing those lawyerly instincts? Uh, well, I mean, I had Roger Stone on the show, need I say more? So, I, I mean, I, what I do... Bernie Madoff wasn't available? Bernie Madoff was not available, and I would definitely interview him in a second, but I'm pretty sure he's on some kind of media blackout. What do I know? Um, I... This is the wrong phrase to use, but I'm going to see if I can make it work here. I try to give people like that. Let, yeah, let me just stick with the Roger Stone example. I try yeah. to give people like that enough rope to hang themselves, so to speak. So I don't go, and then you did this. I'll be like, and then what happened? And then why did you do that? And then did it. And then after a while, that person will get the idea that since I'm not an unfriendly or hostile in interrogator uh, or interrogator mm -hmm. or, or, uh, counsel or a host, whatever you want to call it, yeah. they'll start to go, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing my shtick when people like me and they're entertained by what I'm doing. I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Roger Stone was like, yeah, I've, I've, Richard Nixon, this, that, and the other thing. Stone's rule number seven, always deny, deny, deny. Da, da, da. And he's going through this over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he's like, thanks. This is really a lot of, this is great. And I know he's kind of like, cool. I was on a show where this guy totally agrees with everything I say. And it's like, right. then it's like the, and I don't have to end the show with like, Oh, did you hear all that crap? This guy's terrible. I don't have to do that. I just air the show and people go, 
whoa, that guy just showed his true colors. No, is that right. evil or is he just insane? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. And that's what you want. Because if I go, if I push back right away and I, and he goes, yeah, Richard Nixon, this, but this guy did this and he disgraced the office of the president. Da, 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 then what is he going to do? Everything right. after that's going to be measured. Clamped it's going to be right. clamped up. It's going to be what he thinks people want to hear, but that, which is going to be very vanilla because he's not, Roger Stone isn't good at telling people what they want to hear because he's mm-hmm. himself, you know, like, He's a different type of person, um, for better or for worse, you know? Yeah. And, and so you have to let people, if I'm going to, I have to decide early, am I going to like argue with this person because the audience wants to hear my opinion on what they're doing and see them get pushed back on? Or does the audience just want to see this person's true personality come out? And for me, I'll push back on certain ideas or certain things and I'll get them to explain themselves, but I'm not going to go, don't you think you're just being a totally big bastard, bad guy doing this and this and this? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, where, what is, what is that going to get me? A couple of applauses, uh, applauses from people sitting in there on the car right. driving to work. Like who cares? You and, know, and, and it will ruin, you know, your biggest proponent of networking and it might, you know, deny you access to like Steve Cohen or, or somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, other people in the, in the orbit. We'll see. Of- <laughs> I mean, look, I, but but I, I want to be really clear here. My idea isn't to get R- Roger Stone to be like that. Jordan guy's really nice. Call me anytime, Jordan. Let's roll up a joint. You know, it's not my idea of what I want to do on the show. Right. They're allowed to not necessarily like me after that, but I'm not going to go out of my way to be like, see, you know, you hear these political shows like mm-hmm. who's this? Who's the guy like Dan Bongino? 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 Yeah, Bongino. I can't even tell what that sound uh, dirty, but they're not. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and he's the type of guy where he's like and then these freaking liberal retards you know they did it and i'm like oh i get it you're just the angry guy who's like the uncle at thanksgiving that everyone hates except for this is your whole shtick so it's your whole show and it's popular because there are a lot of people that are like oh look at him make fun of people that i don't understand yeah, owning like, the right, mm-hmm. owning the libs man and it's like I, no he's just talking to a bunch of dummies in their garage you and you're giggling because he's like yeah the retards but they're the 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 people he doesn't like are not listening to him because he's a, he's a clown, right? And that, so like that kind what, of the yeah. Go ahead. What are you achieving when you right. do that? You're talking only to people that agree with you, so you're not making any meaningful change. You're making things more divisive. You're literally just a clown, and and that's one of the reasons why I stopped watching certain shows. Like mm-hmm. I think Bill Maher is funny, but I don't necessarily want to watch his show because all the panels. Unless it's polemical. Friend, unless, right, yeah. yeah, and look, I have to Google that word. But, like, unless one of my friends is on those panels, I don't usually watch mm-hmm. because it's just like, oh, my God, and then Trump did this. Can you believe that? <laughs> oh, my God, he's an ass. What a moron that guy is. Yeah, let's make fun of him more. And I'm like, am I getting anywhere? No. Not it's just, really. It's just the echo chamber, right? Everyone's, yeah, it's uh, an echo chamber of comedians, and then there's, like, an academic, and then there's, like, another person, and they're reporter. giving their opinion. They're, yeah, and then it's, like, Franny Leibowitz is making fun of this person, and then, you know, Charlemagne the God's making fun of this person. But I, Michael you know, Moore Char- will come in with a, yeah. Exactly. Right, if Charlemagne's on there, I'm going to watch. But, like, right. you know, yeah, I don't want to be in that echo chamber. And again, I like Bill Maher. I think he's he can be really funny sure. and he's like witty and insightful. But and the other reason I stopped watching shows like that is and here's how you can tell, right? Because you watch the show and they'll get like 
James Comey on there. And I'm like, great. He's going to interview James Comey. Seven minutes later, he's like, thanks for coming in. Let's right. go to our panel. And I'm like, wow. what are you doing? <laughs> he flew what? to New York or L.A. Sorry. I, uh, he flew to L.A. Yeah, to talk is. to you. You give him seven minutes. Screw the panel. Have him talk to you for the whole show. Like, let's right. dig into this. And I realized that, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, people who just want to have their opinions reinforced, they don't care about long-form dialogue no. you know that's why sound you bites. don't see right. it they want mm-hmm. sound bites that they can go to their family and then when their cousin comes in and goes you know we really need nationalized health care they can go oh yeah here's this sound bite i heard on this dan bongino show that makes you sound dumb ha ha <laughs> that's all they want they right. don't want dialogue they don't want to get anywhere yeah, it's tiresome so mm-hmm. it's tiresome so i just don't do that on my show i'm like no we're gonna have a long format discussion i'm gonna push back where pushing is needed to open something up more but i'm not gonna push back just to be like see audience i disagree with this guy virtue signal <laughs> virtue signal virtue signal <laughs> so, i disagree a lot of what you do so effectively is research before the the show and right. you know i wanted well first of all i was curious because it took you know it took a while for me to do it did did kobe have to go through the same you know like weeks and weeks of back and forth with the producer like on his question and answer his five topics his takeaway his giveaway did, did kobe bryant fill out my show prep form yes. that i made you fill out is yeah. that what you're trying to ask yes, me absolutely not he did not um, <laughs> okay fine no. i would be mad if he did because no, that's, he's special yeah he's special. He special okay fine yeah okay but only only people like kobe are in that exalted hierarchy correct yeah I no i you know in the thing is i also i didn't not, mind it actually helped a lot because i didn't know you i didn't know what you would ask me and i didn't know you know i mean i have followed you for literally the better part of a decade, but I didn't know like, what is my episode going to be like? So at least it gave me some structure as what to expect. So I, I, I do think even for Kobe, it probably would have been good, but, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, so I'm able to do, I do 10 to 20 hours of prep for every guest, as you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, for Kobe, it was easy enough for me to, to prep on my own because there's so much information there. I didn't really, but his publicist gave me a lot of stuff to work with as well, which is helpful. Mm -hmm. But you know, I don't have to worry about that stuff with Kobe because there is such an obvious angle to take with somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Um, With you or with an author that I'm exploring, I want to know what, I want to know what they're trying to bring across. Cause the last thing you want to do the last thing you want to do is go and interview somebody. Well, I wouldn't say the last thing. One of the last things you want to do <laughs> is go in and and try to interview somebody about something they don't want to talk about. And then they're trying to skillfully or not drag the conversation in Back another direction. Right, yeah. yeah. Like in, with Kobe, I knew that there was a lot of low hanging fruit with basketball. Yeah. But I didn't want to talk about basketball. Right. So what I told his publicist was, I really want to focus on creativity, parenting, running a business. I don't really care about basketball. So you can be, be relieved and know that. And they were like, and we want to focus on. And there was like other like, things that obviously had hit the news in recent years that they didn't want me to really yeah. dive into Touch for on, obvious right. reasons. Off yeah, off and and I was like, don't worry. And, and a lot of people are like that. Like yeah. a lot of, a lot of personalities are going you got to sort of think for them like is general petraeus going to come into this conversation 
thinking I'm going to attack him for this affair that he had that he's super sick of talking about. Right. Right. Because that is something that is a nightmare for a publicist is tiring for him. And he doesn't have to subject himself to this crap anymore. And it's going to start you off on an adversarial relation, you know, almost, almost from yes. the get go. Especially when they know that it could be out there. It's almost worse than if you just get out of the way and say, either we're going to talk about it or we're not give them uh, the option. And I guess, you know, one thing I wonder about, you know, cause you do so much research and I think it was you who told me this or so I'd say told me, I, f- I feel like the ear is so deep that you're literally in my earbuds, you know, like hours and hours a week. And with a lot of other pod, James is like that. Tim Ferriss is like that. You're listening. And these people are like literally embedded in your head. And as Carl Sagan said about books, he said, you know, you have an author who wrote something, little scribbles on dead paper, on dead trees, and then their voice is in your head. And it's no wonder that books and audio format like podcasts are so, are so influential, visceral and influential of the human mind. And I just wonder, you know, one thing you said a long time ago, as I said, was, and and, uh, I can't remember exactly, but it was like, you don't ask, you you get all the low hanging fruit out of the way. Like, you're not going to talk about that. You just, you just blow past that because you want to get beyond the talking points. And I'm wondering, like with books, it's hard for me. I have a lot of authors on and they want to talk about their book, but there's a balance between like, like a lot of people want the audio book in the podcast. In other words, they don't even want to buy the audio book. They don't want to buy the written, you know, who has time to read a book. Mm-hmm. So it's like, tell me your whole book and on the podcast. And then the host doesn't have to do research, you know, cause they're the, uh, the author is going to tell about it. I mean, how do you balance that? How do you, how do you get it so that you get to the really interesting stuff? Um, the stuff, the exclusive stuff. Cause I think that's what as a podcaster is so interesting stories that people have not, like I asked Noam Chomsky about alien intelligence. Like, no, I thought he was going to say, you know, like you're an idiot. You're a professor, chancellor's professor of physics, you moron. Like, well, they, and he, we talked for 30 minutes about it. It was fascinating. And he had never talked about it. Wait, sorry. That last part was a little confusing. He'd never talked about what? Alien linguistics. Like, how do you okay. communicate with an alien? Because he's known as the father of linguist, modern linguistics. Right. And I said, but a lot of his thesis is that ling- uh, language is learned as you're knowing from Jaden. It's almost all nonverbal. Like, he's learning grammar. Like, he might say something like aminal or something, but he'll put it subject and the verb will agree. You know, he won't say, like, uh, daddy and mommy is going, you know, whatever. Maybe he will. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much he's talking, to be honest, but you'll see as, as he gets older. Um, and kids learn that, but they don't learn it from the, you know, they don't sit down at a, at a language course. So they're learning non non-verbally and i said how could you communicate to an alien civilization that you can't see you can't do the non-verbal communications cues with an alien you're just communicating with morse code is it possible even in principle linguistically to teach an alien civilization uh language and that was something he had never thought about and i was kind of scared to ask him that question and you know james alter says whenever you're scared to ask a question you know that's the question you have to ask you know mm-hmm. it's like J- james campbell the the treasure you seek is in the cave you fear to enter um <laughs> So I wonder, but getting back to like you specifically and the advice that you gave me and millions of others who listen to you, like, how do you get to the, you know, someone who's introverted, someone who's not really used to these, the format that you're involved in, not to divulge the secret of his or her book, but to get at the exclusive, like, how do you get to that point? Is it the research beforehand? Is it just your own inherent curiosity and passion? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I, I do read the book. I do take a lot of notes. I do go over the book a lot, depending on the author. Like, if, if there's more to the author than the book, like for Kobe, I didn't read the children's book and go, like, let's talk about the magic tennis player yeah. or whatever <laughs> the book was. You know, right. I wanted to talk about him. Um, and with you, I wanted to talk about you. And, and we there was plenty in the book that we probably touched on, but I didn't need to go and get, like, 
the book outline. (laughs) On the other hand, if I'm talking to an undercover, a former undercover FBI agent who does art crime, (laughs) I'm basically going through a lot of the stories in the book with fewer details, honing in on a couple that were like really incredible, having him tell them like he was there, similar to how they were written, but in oral, oral format, you know, like there's, there's more to, there's more to it. Um, I don't really, this is an interesting question because I didn't really have to think about how do I get them to tell. Some of the time I will literally say, hey, can you tell the story about that time you were being chased by the French art thieves and you were running with this like Rembrandt that turned out and it got destroyed and it turned out to be a copy and you almost got fired and felt really bad, but then it was just junk anyway. Like, and then I'll cut that out of the show and then he'll go, yeah, I mean, that was the, that was the time I was in Geneva. And I'm like, okay, start like one time I was in Geneva. Then we just cut that out and he tells the story, you know, so I'll prompt it really directly, which is Ah, kind of like, that's really, there's no genius to that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Other times I'll say something along the lines of, now what's this I hear about you running away in Geneva with a Rembrandt? And they'll go, well, okay, it wasn't a Rembrandt. It turned out, well, let me tell you, let me start from the beginning. Then I'll leave it in, and then they just tell a story. I'm mm. prompting it. I already know the story. It's not like I just heard someone said. It's not like I make it sound like someone said, ask him about the time he was running around in Geneva with a Rembrandt. You know, And then I make it sound like I was just at a bar with one of his buddies, and he told me to do that. But I've read the whole story. right? I've read the yes. whole thing. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like cross-examination when you're a lawyer where mm-hmm. you don't ask – there's this old sort of YouTube with this great cross-examiner who's since I think passed and he taught at Yale in like the 70s and 60s. And he goes, never ask a question if you don't know the answer, the answer that you're yeah. going to get. That's and what that's, my brother always says. That's, right. It's true for cross-examination. It's mm-hmm. not true for podcasts. I don't <laughs> want people to – like you, you should be asking questions you don't know the answer to in podcasts. But if you're trying to elicit a story and you're pretty sure it's good then then you ask the question knowing you're going to get the answer what you don't want to do is go tell me about the time that da, 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 and then they go oh uh right. yeah that was nothing yeah <laughs> like if that happens cut it out you know you have the luxury of doing that you don't you can't do that on cross-examination yeah. but with with other things i will simply generate enough rapport with the guest where i go so do you think that if you hadn't been convicted of this crime, you would have been doing ABCD and they'll go, I don't know. Maybe not. You know, I don't know what they're going to say. They might be like, Oh yeah, I wanted to do that since I was a kid, me going to prison. That was just a roadblock on the way to my true calling as a painter. Speaker, right? Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. Or they go, you know, I don't know. And you say, well, because it seems like this got thrown. Are you a type of person that believes everything happens for a reason? And they'll go, oh, not really. You know, I think the, the reason that this happened was because I was an like a-hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was an asshole right. when I was 20, so I went to jail. So, not, you know, or my parents left me on a doorstep when I was a kid, so I joined a gang. Like, if that's the reason, then yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah, not, right. It's, you know, so you try to get there. But that's because any answer is fine. Yeah. But the beauty of podcasting is you can cut out answers that are really lame. And, and people go, oh, you edit. It's not fair. Well, you, if you listen to podcasts that are like two hours long and they're not edited and you listen to enough of them, you start to go, why didn't you edit that? You yeah, know, like, I'm doing a video, so it's, it's hard for me to edit like the segue. And, and actually, that brings up something that I wanted to ask you about for a while. Sure. In real time, do you have metrics in your head? Like you actually gave me one of mine a few minutes ago, so I'm patting myself on the back. But like when a guest says to me, that's an interesting question, or I've never been asked that before, or wow, or just sits there like, 
you know, I let the silence do the work. Uh, and I'm just an amateur compared to you. I mean, I'm being serious, Jordan, but, but like you use, do you have any real time metrics that like, I'm having a good time, especially in COVID where we're not face to face, like mm-hmm. we're together, we can hang out beforehand, slap the backs, whatever. And, uh, but in over, over, you know, the airwave, so to speak, how do you know in real time you're doing a good job as an interviewer? That's a, that's also a pretty good question because, you know, a lot of times you don't know yeah. in real time if you're doing a good job. I think for me, how do I know if I'm doing a good job as an interviewer? In the moment, probably because the other person seems engaged mm-hmm. in the conversation. Um, they seem excited to be talking about it. Like I don't right now. Cause I'm thinking, but they seem excited to be talking about <laughs> put their phone down. Stop yeah, checking they, Instagram. Yeah. They, they there's Harbinger. some of that. There's some of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're engaged with what it is that they are talking about, but also there's a friendliness and rapport and ease that goes into the conversation where they're not thinking seemingly about getting their agenda across. You know, they're not going, that's nice, Brian, but in my book, How to Get Paid to Speak on Stage, I just, you know, you've broken them of their autopilot response. That's yeah. part of it. But they, they, you've broken them of that, not because you're like, shut up about your book, but because they're, they're just going, this guy, they're like lost in the conversation, you know, which is what you want. They're engrossed in the conversation is probably better. Mm-hmm. And the listener is also engrossed theoretically in the conversation at that point as well. If you're wrestling with the guest, like, you know, if you're going, how do you get that? Well, in my book, how to speak from the stage, Brian, thanks for asking. I discussed the three crucial points about this. And you're like, yeah, that's great. Tell me about when your travels to North Korea. Well, when I was in North Korea, before I'd written the three magical <laughs> points of speaking from stage, of newsletter I was, jo- yeah, you know, if you're wrestling with them then the listener's like oh this guy sucks and mm. they're not going to probably blame the host if you have rapport with your your audience um but you want the guest to just be kind of like screw it this is a fun conversation yeah let's talk about psychedelics you know right. or, what, or whatever you're talking about <laughs> um i don't tend to go that route but no. like you want somebody to come on in theory to talk about their their children's book and then you just go so this is kind of a dark topic, but when I had Kobe Bryant on and and he's fresh in my mind recently, because somebody just asked me about him before the show. So I don't mean to keep sort of name dropping this, but it it is a good, it is a good opportunity to showcase. This as an example. Uh, He was talking, you know, he wanted to talk about his children's book, but he didn't really want to talk about basketball, which is great because I didn't either. And he didn't want to talk about certain other things. And I said, you know, do you ever think about, now that you're writing children's books, it's clear that you're thinking about parenting. I don't know about you, but for me, you know, I had my child uh, just a few months ago. This is in September. My kid was born in July. So I, yeah. I just had a kid. And, and, and that's, we focused a lot on that. And I said, do you ever think about what happens when you're gone? Hmm. And he said, yeah, you know, that I do think about what happens when I'm gone. And I think some of this hit the cutting room floor because we weren't thinking how relevant it would be. And he said, yeah, you know, and after the show we were talking, he goes, yeah, man. So I, you know, I got to tell you that mortality thing is something that I really do think about. And it's easy to think you're never going to die when you're on the basketball court and, you know, millions of people are looking at you, but when you have kids, you just realize how fragile your life is and how fragile their life is and how fragile your time together is. And I thought, and, and I remember being like, 
Yeah, that's so true. Can you sign this book? Thanks, man. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was really right. like that. But, but look sneakers. at like 20, 2020 mm-hmm. hindsight. I'm like, man, that would have been good tape, yeah. you know, because it was so truthful and it was such an interesting thread. Mm-hmm. And, and it was such a real part of the conversation that if you're really attached to your agenda, you miss that. And you're yeah. doing a good job as an interviewer if you realize that your agenda is to provide value for the audience, not to like get answers about what's going on. I'm not a journalist. I'm not yeah. sitting there on 60 right. Minutes going, That's well, exactly. did you, yeah, did you, some, did you kill her? Did you kill her, Roger? Did you? <laughs> Believe you know, it or not, not. In, in physics, there are controversial figures that are co- accused of self-promotion. I mean, you know, I could probably be accused like of Like they write books about they write how books they didn't about- even... <laughs> books about awards they didn't even win those guys Uh, and then and they have an agenda so people will write like how come you didn't ask him about the time his employees quit in 1997 i'm like i'm not like leslie stahl you know like i'll give you your money back how about this you know but you know in science i think there's a credibility i want to ask you a corollary to what you just said because you you talk about these things and actually i've started to do just as you're saying maybe in, in part inspired by similar ideas but like i ask my guests as i will with you uh in about 90 minutes from now no, in, in, in a few minutes, I'll ask you these three questions that are really kind of these deep questions, thinking about the deep future of yourself personally, of humanity as a whole, and then advice to your former self. And I do it in a hopefully in- interesting way related to Sir Arthur C. Clarke. But before we do that, I want to just turn to, um, you know, your life has been documented in podcast form since you were, what, 26 years old. Huh, and yeah. all, all the different changes that you've undergone, it's kind of the corollary to Kobe. Kobe had this one opportunity, he's on your show, basically the only podcast that of, of real value and interest that I, I, I'm aware of that personally. I mean, maybe he went on other shows. But, uh, but the point is, you got to ask him certain questions, you got to interact with him uh, and that was this brief snapshot of him. With you, we've seen you evolve since 26-year-old, starting a huge podcast, breaking up with – I don't want to get into the, the breakup with the uh, – I'll just call them AOC folks uh, The the uh, that has been well-documented on your podcast and elsewhere. We don't have to talk about it. But then, um, but then evolving to now being a, married, being a father, moving from L.A., moving to the – now building your house, this evolution, we get to see you. And I wonder, like, are there things – sometimes I get a – like, why did you have this person on, like, three years ago? Or, or like, why did you go on this person's show? Like it's very harmful. Like, how do you deal with the fact that you've evolved? You, we all make mistakes. Um, are there things that you regret? Are, are there things that you can do differently and learn from these mistakes? Because I, I feel like a lot of podcasting is kind of like failure porn. It's like, oh well, uh, it is. Yeah, I, and, I well, what hate do you make that of that? Stuff. Yeah. So, what do you make of that? Is that is that a problem? Are we reaching peak podcast, or at least that that branch of it? Um. No, I don't think we're reaching peak podcast. I just think there's a lot of people that have really kind of like mediocre at best unoriginal ideas maybe mm-hmm. um i i'm trying not to be like an a-hole about this like oh my show's good and everyone else's sucks like I, that's not really what i think at all I, I, I think there's just a lot of people that go oh i don't have an idea for a show but i want to be an influencer so i'm gonna i'm gonna do shows uh, with entrepreneurs. Let's see if those are taken. Oh, crap. There's 8,000 of these, literally. Uh, oh, I'm going to do unsuccessful entrepreneurs because those people are easy to get versus like super successful people. Or I'll, I'll like only talk about failures and not, not talk about like how Tom Shoes was built. I'll talk about like how Tom Shoes almost failed and like Raider. all the bad ideas the guy had before that. And there's some value there, like to, to not look at all entrepreneurs as like immediate lottery winners, mm-hmm. even though many of them are. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think a lot of them are uh, the successful ones that we see, you know, they've won the business lottery in some way, but like, y- you know, 
there's nothing that interesting about it. In my perspective, I, I got lucky because when I started podcasting in 2006, there were not that many shows. So me being like, I'm going to do a show about dating and relationships that focuses on like nonverbal communication and, and influence, you know, and then like turn it into like dating and pick up e type stuff. Cause I'm in my twenties. It was fine. And no one was like, this is misogynist. Cause it wasn't right. And also we didn't have cancel culture. Right. So nobody was looking for problems with it. Like there right. were a few people that wrote in that were like, I don't like this because it has to do with dating and that's wrong because you should just be yourself. I'm like, okay, this is just some crazy low self-esteem person. The other X thousand people listening think it's great. So I don't care. Those people didn't bother me. We, like I said, we didn't have cancel culture, so it didn't really make a difference. And then it evolved into, I'm just going to talk about what I'm interested in. And, oh, I seem to have a skill for conversation that I've developed over literally 14 years almost of doing this, right? So that got really easy for me. And now I can be arrogant enough to name my show, the Jordan Harbinger show. And it's not like this ridiculous, like, oh, you wish people like, no, there's a lot of search queries for my name, especially in podcast directories. So it works great. Right. Um, but for a lot of folks, there are, there are issues. I think you have to examine your motivations when you start a show. Are you just trying to be an influencer? If so, just like, I get it, but you need to find something that is a value. You have to be an advocate for your audience. You know, I, I again, going back to the law thing, as a lawyer, I have a, I have a fiduciary duty to the client. I have an ethical duty to the client. I look at my listeners of the Jordan Harbinger show as clients in that I have an ethical, I have an ethical duty to them. They have to, there's nothing for sale for the Jordan Harbinger show, but I, you are paying with your attention. So Mm -hmm. if I want to retain your attention and you want to retain me as the quote unquote, as the host of a show that you listen to, I can't be like, here's this self-serving thing where I benefit. I have to be like, the deal is you listen to the show. You occasionally support the sponsors of the Jordan Harbinger show, which allows me to do this show and give you the services for free. And people are like, cool. And in return, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you this mattress is great if it sucks. I'm only going to recommend things that I really like. I'm not going to hammer you with ads. I'm not going to be extra salesy. I'm not going to hide the ball. I'm also not going to present people to you uh, under cover of, oh, this person's great because they gave me 25 grand. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to bring in perspectives that I think are harmful, not because I'm your parent, but because I have your best interest in mind as not your lawyer, but as somebody who is going to act as an advocate for you. So I'm not, I might bring in a guy like Roger Stone and say, make a decision for yourself, but look at what he said. And it's, it's not pretty, but I wanted you to get an unvarnished look at this guy, you know, or I'll have in a scientist or somebody like you, who's like, here's this thing that I learned. And I'm not like, tell them the thing they can buy where I get a kickback. We don't do that. We don't do any of that on the show. And so people who are coming up with new show ideas or running a podcast, I find that they often have their ethics muddled. And and I mean muddled as if they were an attorney, not like they're personally unethical. But I think there's a lot of shows where they're like, yeah, I just wanted to bring the best stories of entrepreneurs to my audience, something, something, something. That's like, there's like 9,000 shows like that. But if you really dig, it's like, Mm, no, they're trying to sell their book because they have an online course and it's part of the funnel. The and then funnel, they're like, they're portal. like an entrepreneur. Yeah, they're an entrepreneur coach where they're going to teach you how to do this, this, and this. And it's like, so this is lead gen for you. You're not trying to find, you're not trying to get people 
to learn from these. Oh, you're not trying to only get people to learn from these entrepreneurs that have failed. You're trying to get people who are struggling in entrepreneurship so that they will pay you their money to, to, fill to their hire need. you right. to fill their need. And and that's fine, but you better put that crap out on the table and not be like, I'm just a casual podcast host hanging out, delivering knowledge. No, you're trying to get people in a sales funnel and you're filtering them in because they're struggling. And that's not deceptive or despicable unless it's deceptive or despicable. And then you and, should stop. Is there a danger, you know, before I want to get, make sure we have time to talk about networking and academia mm-hmm. and, and elsewhere. But before we get there, um, you know, is there, like, I kind of see you and I, and I see other people, James or Tim, Fer- like, and there's this, there's this growth phenomena and I, I, there's some name for it in Silicon Valley. You probably know what it is, but like you get so big, it becomes really hard to, to deliver extra value or to, to benefit more without spending a lot more money to move the needle, to get more listeners as, as is the really most important metric. Um, you know, like is, do you get to a point where you're like a victim of your own success? Like I, I figure my kids yesterday were saying like, Oh daddy, you've got, you know, so many subscribers. Cause they see my, you know, things and I go do ads. Sometimes they come up on there. I don't get ads, ad money, but they'll see an ad or something and say like, Oh, well, Joe Biden was on your podcast. I'm like, no, nah, not exactly. Uh, but, uh, but the point, you know, cause some ad rolls before an interview that I do, but, um, but I was they're like, Oh, well, you should get more, more people. I'm like, you know, there's a story in 1984, George Orwell's story, where the donkey, um, I forget his name, Benjamin, Benjamin's his name, and uh, the pig comes up to him and says, oh, you've got this resplendent tail, you know, so beautiful. And the donkey says, yeah, the, the tail keeps away the flies. Uh, and the pig says, oh, that's great. And, and the donkey says, no, I'd rather not have the flies and not need the tail. It's like, how big do you want to get? Like, what's your ultimate mission with uh, JHS, as we call it? Um, you know, like, do you ever find it, like, wearisome? Like, you just... Like, oh, I got to be on somebody else's show to get more listeners to my, like, eventually it saturates, right? So what is the ultimate goal? And like, can you become a victim of your own success? Like the end game, if it's not the funnel, if it's not, you know, lead gen for your network and you give away your networking course. So, uh, you know, so like, how, you know, like, what is, what is the ultimate, what is your ultimate goal? I guess is, is interesting to me. Is there a book? What are you going to do? For me, I'm not even necessarily sure. Like it's like I said, it's something I'm dealing with right now where there's a lot of people that are like, write a book, but that's not really my core competency. Also, I, I think it might be a good thing to do and a game changer, but it's like, where do I put my time? What I'm looking at right now is build a larger audience with which I can generate more advertising revenue from sponsors because I, I realize what I truly love is having the conversations, you know, like, is it a jewel thief that I'm talking to a famous jewel thief who's now telling people like, Hey kids, stay in school basically is like his motto. Um, or am I talking with somebody who is, uh, a Nobel prize losing scientist? Am I talking with somebody who's written a book on poker, but is really, you know, Maria Konnikova, like the human element mm-hmm. of that? Am I talking to a professional athlete? I just love the conversations. I mean, there's a lot, there's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun to read a book and go, man, I wonder about that. Oh, I guess I'll write that down and ask the author when I talk to them <laughs> in a week and, mm-hmm. you know, have a personal conversation with them and sit down with them. That's a really cool privilege. It's really fun to create. And I want to create more of that. And right now I make a healthy living doing it, but I'd be a fool to believe that 
the cost of advertising or the, the, the money that advertising generates is going to stay the same forever. Like that could easily go down. The economy could hit a dip. Uh, I, I don't want to have to be in a position where I go, Oh shoot, I can't make ends meet. Introducing the Jordan Harbinger, be a famous podcaster. Funnels. You know, I don't <laughs> want right. to have to do that crap. So the best thing I can do right now is scale the show. And also scaling the show gives you some really cool opportunities because then you get to talk to even more hard to reach guests. You know, I had Ray Dalio on the other day and I'm like, oh, I could do with more guys like this. Like he's really, mm-hmm. really interesting guy. So I want to do that. And I want to be I, I, the scaling up gives me the luxury of not having to do things that other people say I should do as I scale up, like have courses, do live events. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I've done coaching before. I've done training before. It doesn't mean it's a scam. Not all of it's a scam. Not all of it uh, is unethical, of course, but I don't like doing it. I don't like Mm -hmm. doing it, but I also understand why people have to do it because they're like, Ooh, I can't make ad money. So I do need a product that's like, you know, if it's like, you know, take what we're doing now, uh, and then, you know, convert it to some course just about how to be a good podcaster or whatever, you know, I I'm, I'm doing that, but it's going to be like, it's going to be like 30 bucks. Yeah. It's not going to be like 3000 bucks. No, that's right. Right. Tony Robbins and uh, and plunge pools and and everything else. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm doing a podcasting class and it's going to be focused on interviews, not on what microphone to buy and stuff. And it's going to be conducting a good interview and it's going to be so cheap and slash affordable. That's how you're supposed to frame it. It's going to be so affordable that even if you're in college and you're like, I just kind of like podcasting and I want to get better at it. You can, you can buy this and Mm -hmm. it's not like you don't have to take out more federal loans to get it. <laughs> no, um, I will be there and I will be grade grubbing as I always have been throughout my academic career. There you go. And actually that segues nicely to uh, some topics about, about academia and science in particular. Uh, so, you know, I think of you as, as kind of Mr. Network and your catchphrase, you know, dig the well before you're thirsty. Yes. And I, I want to be a little, uh, a little bit of the 60 minutes type with you. So, when I hear that, um, I understand what you mean. But if I tell my scientist colleagues that, you know, like, well, we need to network or you need to get to know this person because this person could be useful to us someday, you know, when you're, when you're in a bind or you need something and, and that your network is your net worth and the other cliches. But, but certainly uh, it comes across to some people, especially those in academia, um, as transactional. It's like, oh, you're, you're networking and you're reaching out to, you know, you know Kobe Bryant's realtor because you eventually want to get Kobe <laughs> on your show because you know right. that'll get a lot of ads and then you'll get ad revenue. And so we don't listen to Einstein because he had a great speaking voice or, or what, you know, in fact, he had it awful. You barely. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't think I've ever heard him. In yeah. a recording. It's very, very few recordings of him. But you know, when Noam Chomsky, I could barely hear what he was saying. Uh, but what he's saying is so much more important. He doesn't have a course or some, you know, some multi-level marketing scheme, pyramids, you know, guy's 92 years old. Uh, but but the question I have for you is like, how do you um, walk that line between not wanting to be this greasy haired uh, transactional guy like I am, uh, you know, but how, <laughs> how do you, uh, is, it, is it truly authentic or, you know, you have this networking course and so forth, which I find very beneficial even as a scientist. And, and these soft skills do distinguish some of the things that I do, and I resonate very strongly with it. But what do you say to people like colleagues of mine, friend, like, it's, it's kind of slimy, like, why are you doing this? You know, you should just let your merit, your meritocracy, it's, it's, that's the way science should be. You should just be technically brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, look, um, is that real? Is that, is that real? Like, is there a such thing as, I, I guess there are probably plenty of people where it's like, They got here solely based on the value of their work and they never self-promoted. But I don't 
really know how true that is. I think mm-hmm. it's meant to look that way, and I think it does look that way for a lot of folks, but mm-hmm. that's kind of like saying, I, I, I mean, give me an example of somebody who supposedly has done something and has there are never people that are horrible, horrible. I mean, like they used to say, Paul Dirac, who won the Nobel Prize, you know, discovered antimatter essentially, and they used to say Dirac never uses two words when none will do. You know, he was like so taciturn. Like they're basically scientists. The most, you know, the 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 kind of um, you know cliche is that we're you know we're extremely introverted. I think I used a joke on your, you know, they're they're extroverted if they look at your shoes when they talk Instead to you. Yeah, yeah, and so like um, so it's it's seen as a sign of inauthenticity. Even though some of the most, you know, important, best scientists and, you know, folks like Jim Simons, who I did have on my show, he's called the world's smartest billionaire. He said one of the most important skills of a scientist is to be a good salesman. That yeah. doesn't mean you're, I'm not selling it. I lose all the money that I, I, you know, that I get. Like, it all goes out to payroll. I don't make a single profit. I get papers. I get citations from, you know, me and my students get PhDs. We, we're, I'm in a money-losing business. But the, the, the point is, like, you're perceived negatively. Like, Carl Sagan never was in the uh, National Academy of sciences and they said because you know he was such a great communicator this a little doll you know uh, of him uh, finger puppet but they said you know he was really penalized almost and like i was talking to jan 11 who you'd love you'd love to talk to her she was just on tim ferris's show um and she was saying like when she was on my show she was like we won't penalize you if you write a book but we're not going to give you any credit for doing it like it's it's seen as like almost outreach and the soft skills of a scientist are if they're not penalized they're certainly not celebrated and so in this kind of you know Whereas a lawyer, you, you know you have to be a good communicator. I mean, it's mm-hmm. most of what you do. And I actually agree that it is a huge thing to have a network. Yeah, I mean, you gave an example actually on your show a few months back with a, a student who reached out to you know one of her professors who did win a Nobel Prize or, or something like that. And they developed this thing, and she eventually became an intern in his lab and so forth. I think it was at Stanford. Um, so I do think it's important. But what, uh, I guess the question is, how, how do you avoid it? Because I, if it's genuine, I think it's, it's fine to do it. But how do you avoid that kind of... Um, patina that's perceived as inauthentic well digging the well for a purpose like for you to drink so like you're gonna dig you know so that uh, dalio comes on the show and whatever yeah i'm not accusing i'm just speaking you definitely need to dig the well before you get thirsty so build relationships before you need them Mm -hmm. i think the key is you really do need to help other people without the expectation of getting something in return so Mm If I'm only helping you to get something for me, yeah, of course you're going to have a slimy and well-deserved slimy reputation. But if I'm helping people because I want to see them succeed because the more successful people that I'm around, the higher the chance of me succeeding, there's nothing selfish really in that. Like It's not completely altruistic because I'm hoping that if you're successful and she's successful and she's successful and he's successful, that I'm then going to have some of that rub off on me or they're going to pull me up. But that's good for everyone. So I don't see a problem with that. The problem is that a lot of science, and I've noticed this with scientists, I actually have trained scientists with networking and and skills like that before. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is a lot of these big PhD professors who are like famous scientists, Mm -hmm. they're like, man, it's so hard to find qualified, amazing people to come into my lab and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, why? Well, it's just looking for a needle in a haystack. And, you know, it's hard to find people that are going to get along. And then meanwhile, these scientists are like, I don't want to come across as a self-promoting promotional person. I'm like, this guy's running a lab and he wants <laughs> to meet the most qualified people. And you're over here being like, better hide. All right. Yeah. What, it's is, like, what uh, good is that doing for you? And what good is that doing for the person who wants to find somebody to work with? Not, mm-hmm. You're not helping anyone. Yeah. It's like this, this false or real modesty that represents or manifests itself as like 
I want to actually harm my career because if I look like I'm trying to further my career, other people might not like me. And it's like, other people that don't have enough self-esteem or self-confidence to help their own career might not like you. Now you're just crabs in a bucket, right? Have you heard that? Where yeah, like yeah. the crab's trying to crawl out and the other the crab grabs crab them and pulls them back right? in. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what is going on in science from what I understand and from what I've seen. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I get it. Cause you don't want to come across like you're the important product and not the science. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a balance in which you do that, where you go, look, I've got some decent research. I would love to contribute to your research because you're amazing and this research is amazing and we're going to do something that changes the field together make it about the field make it about the person you're trying to to get and work under because you realize you have a long career ahead of yourself there's nothing wrong in recognizing the work you've put in or that you're an upstart that could actually have some potential Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with this um you have to get over the idea that you speaking for your ideas is somehow completely selfish because imagine if doctors thought that way you know i think i figured out that you can put mold on infections but who wants to hear from little old me come on (laughs) right yeah so right so there's this actual complete inversion of reality that takes place so a friend of mine darren lapomi is a professor here at ucsd he runs a very popular channel of youtube as well and he has uh he has a you know basically called how to how to uh, win friends and influence people after dale carnegie's but it's for it's from um uh, nano engineers so these aren't the most you know gregarious effervescent personalities and yet he's teaching them like what do you think is and he does a poll like what do you think are, is the breakdown of importance in your career the so-called you know technical ability raw intellectual horsepower time in the lab time in front of the textbook and the computer program and coding whatever versus you know, learning how to speak, getting a speaking coach, uh, doing uh, presentations, going to Toastmasters uh, versus, and it's like 80-20 is basically what they think it is. And in reality, and then he shows it's, it's a compliment. It's 20-80. You know, it's basically exactly the opposite. And you look at all the soft skills it takes to be a professor. I mean, there's a joke that, you know, Isidore Rabbi used to say, you know, like professors are paid to do research, to find new sources of money. And if you're a gentleman or a gentle lady, you put some energy into teaching. It's like, the thing that we're least trained for, we never get a course in here's how you teach, but we also never get a course in here's how you speak. And, and these are the things that we do most often. And I, I feel like it'd be great to have a version of the networking, you know, six minute networking, but for, uh, for scientists, for engineers. And, you know, I think, I think it would be very valuable because there's a lot of us and, and it's, it's perceived to be one of the more important careers that there is a STEM fields. Um, <clears throat> so I want to uh, segue, I know you're going to run out of time soon. So I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to miss out on the questions that, that I wanted to ask a couple of just like rapid fire questions. When should a podcaster decide when to monetize? Like I, I'll be quite frank, you know, I bought the manscaping. I bought the, I bought the, bio, the bio optimizers for the other side of the, of the, of the body. Great. You know, like how do you, <laughs> when is it too soon to like go after a pod? I'm not planning to go after it, but for those of my audience who might be interested in podcasting, when, it, you know, is it a mistake to try to get advertisers too soon? Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you do have to trade. There is a trade-off. Like if, if you've got 5,000 downloads per episode and you're going to end up getting, you know, a hundred bucks an episode, <laughs> if you can do your advertising in a way that's not that annoying, you go ahead, do it, you know, like why not? Mm-hmm. Or 500 bucks an episode. If this pays for the production, it makes it worth your time. Do it. Why not? Just be conscious of the fact that your audience 
might be a little resistant to commercialism. I wouldn't go from having zero ads to having four in every show. Like I would work my way up as the show length increases, the value increases. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. On the other hand, if you are selling a course and you have ads and you know, you're stuffing it in there and you're taking paid guests, like I would be wary of that because again, you have to be an advocate for your audience. Like what's good for them? What is, what is good for the person listening? If you can only have sponsors that you really like and care about, that's even better. Right? So it's never, it, no, it, there is a time that it's too early. I won't say it's never too early. Um, if you have a, a, enough of an audience to make your ads meaningful in terms of revenue, you can do that. You just have to be very careful of how you commercialize. Like mm -hmm. I, I am also very careful with sponsors. You know, the people that offer me the most money are those people that are like, yeah, we have these hair growth pills or something. Right. And I'm Erectile like, child dysfunction. And they're like, we'll give you a hundred dollars CPM four times what you get paid everywhere else. You're going to make 10 grand from these ad spots. And I'm like, I can't sit here and tell my audience about penis pills. Like it's right. not going to happen. <laughs> so you have to be very careful because you have to play the long game. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to get sucked into taking ad money and treating it like the short game, but you just, you want to be as careful as humanly possible with your sponsorships and, and with your other, audience. Yeah. And our friend, you know, James Altucher, you know, he got a lot of flack for like being a Bitcoin promoter in the 2017 time oh, yeah. frame. And he says that he regrets it, but not really because there were so many kind of negative uh, Bitcoin outfits out there that newsletters and just scams. And he thought they were all going out, going out. I don't know. Can you go out of business with the Bitcoin? I forget how it works. I actually don't deal in it. But he, you know, he said it was actually a good thing that he did it because he was only really suggesting that they back legitimate products or whatever. And so he's not, he regrets it, but not fully. Uh, is the same thing true of advertising? Like, look, if you don't advertise, they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to go on, uh, I don't know, Joe Rogan or, you know, whoever your competition is. And, uh, and I don't know if Joe even does ads, but, but the point is, um, you know, someone's going to do it. Why not be you, so to speak? Uh, I guess the counter argument is you don't want to lose your credibility with yeah. your audience, and they are your customers. Uh, uh, you know, I guess. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I guess because I'm not pay you, thinking you know, directly, but yes, right. I mean, the thing is, it's like I'm not thinking of. Oh well, if I don't take the money, someone else is going to take. Good, let them take it. Let them <laughs> abuse their audience. I'm not going to do it. Right. It's kind of like saying, "Well, you know, some people beat up their kids. I might as well do." It. No. What are you going to do that? Like you're abusing your audience. Like I'm yeah. not even trying to make light of that. Like it's 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 like not even a joke. It's like you're mistreating someone. Why would you mm -hmm. do that just because some other people do? It's like, is that a good reason to do something because somebody else does it? If your friends were all jumping off a bridge, would you do it? I mean, it's the same thing your your grandma always said. There's no reason to do that. Um, you, you see people mistreat others around them all the time. It's just because just we can't see them and they're listening to a product that we record and we're abusing their trust. Does that mean we should do it just because the consequences are further removed? Mm -hmm. No. Like you wouldn't mistreat – going back to my bad example earlier, you wouldn't mistreat your own family. Why are you going to mistreat people? Go back to, to what I said with you have to be an advocate for the audience would you mistreat your own clients? If you're an advocate for them, you can't. You're ethically bound to not do so. So don't accept money for something that you think is crap because you want the money. Mm -hmm. Like That's why I, I do encourage people to monetize what they create so that they can keep doing it, but I also encourage them not to become dependent upon that monetization so that they then have to do things Compromise that are not there. quite... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't want to have to optimize the ads that go into the show at the expense of it. I, I've got 
ads in my show, but I could make a whole lot more if I had more ads. Yeah. I could do more shows with crappier guests, mm-hmm. you know, and I see, I see certain hosts do this. There are hosts that have like any YouTuber on that will also share the episode. And I'm like, your show sucks. <laughs> you know, your show sucks. So you'll have anyone on there. That's uh, mental. Also- no, don't ask Jordan to share those two. As you but, but like it, it, there are people that are like, Oh, I had this guy who owns a clothing brand. And all I say after everything he says, is, Whoa, it's so inspiring, man. Cool. Great. Uh, and all that guy. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah we know exactly. Yeah, everyone knows who I'm talking about. Cause that's the whole show. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, well I'm making all this money from ads. Cool. But everyone thinks you're a clown and your churn is like crazy because the more people that find you, they listen to you for a week and they're like, uh, okay, I've had enough of this clown. <laughs> All right. One more uh, quick uh, rapid fire question. Um, you do a lot on social media, Instagram, Twitter, less, a little less so on Twitter, Instagram, you have a huge following LinkedIn. Uh, what appeals to you about those three different platforms? Are there others? Uh, and which, which of them has the least amount of trolls in your experience? Which, which, what has the least amount which of, of trolls? the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter has the least amount of trolls, the fewest LinkedIn. trolls. Yes. LinkedIn. For That's what sure. I say. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Right. It's like they're, they're, they combine, you know, the, the, you know, kind of uh, fun of, of connecting with friends, but a little bit of desperation if they want to get a job. Yeah. yeah so they're not going to blow. Yeah. Okay. Great. That, uh, you're There's a little bit of like, Hey, are you hiring? I'm really good at, you know, da, da, da. Video Fine. Right. but there's not like, I don't get like, hi, babe, how are you reply here to talk to like my Filipino scantily clad, like the, you, you report that in a second, I get, is it me or do a lot of people get like random women from Southeast Asia that are scantily clad in their inbox and every I don't, I don't, I, I, would never, I would never admit to that if I did. I get that all the time in okay. my inbox and wow. maybe that's just my platform. Yeah, um, I get, I get sure. like, I have an alternative uh, solution for the uh, origin of the universe. And if you help me publish it, you'll share the Nobel prize that you lost. <laughs> uh, oh I don't, God. I guess you don't get those, but I um, get different crazies. Yeah. yeah. We, we all have, crazies. yeah, it's, we have our own niche craziness. Okay. Yeah. Last questions that I ask all of my guests uh, come on the into the impossible podcast, speaking with Jordan Harbinger, the effervescent, the brilliant, the incomparable Jordan Harbinger. Um, first question I ask, and, and they all answer it is, uh, what is your solution to quantizing gravity in a four-dimensional space-time framework uh 42 okay Mm -hmm. good good okay check uh seriously so i'm gonna ask questions that some of them are related to uh to sir arthur c clark the namesake of this podcast in the center that i co-direct here in san diego but the first one actually has to do with uh, a piece of not immaterial wisdom you remember from my book because i know you read it cover to cover twice in an audio form minimum Uh, that Alfred Nobel has the most famous will in history. He has a will that says, you know, where his money would go. He had no wife, no children. So he left all of his money pretty much to go to the Nobel Prize. Uh, but in the Nobel Prize, it was monetary will, like normal wills that you learned about in estates and trusts in law school. Uh, but it also had an ethical component in that the prizes were to go to somebody who, um, who created the best invention that had the greatest benefit to mankind. And so in doing so, it was an ethical will. It wasn't just a material will. And I want to ask you, uh, in terms of your ethical will, when you reach uh, the biblical age of 120 and you pass on, what uh, sorts of wisdom or values would you like to articulate uh, in, in words or in written form uh, for not only your, your child, your children, hopefully, uh, your wife, etc., but for humanity? What piece of wisdom or, or knowledge do you find is sort of uh, most pertinent for people in the future? 
I really think that the networking relationship advice that I teach is probably as of right now, the best takeaway, because it works for everyone. It helps everyone. The more people do it, the better off we all are. Dale Carnegie started that trend, but really didn't codify it at all the way that I have mm-hmm. um, recently. And I'm not trying to like give myself props or anything, but it, it, you know, the, he has like a mind, he wrote the mindset down and he was an innovator in that area and it's awesome, but not, I don't really see that many people who have a system for this. Mm -hmm. And if everybody had even like one tenth of the systems that we created that are really easy for this, people would have, people would find it much easier to find jobs in the niches that they like. People would be able to make life decisions better. They would have stronger friendships, which means they're going to be healthier and live longer. Like that is a gift to anybody who decides to put in five minutes a day and do it. It's like, you know, I almost feel like I innovated on the friggin' sit up or something like it's so <laughs> fundamental and yet it, it works you know and you like- really do it i have to say you know for those of you who might listen to jordan does he actually do this so the reason that i actually ended up eventually getting on the bot is that eventually you sent me a text or an email like responded to an email that i wrote a year ago or whatever like can you please get your crap together keating and and submit this you know i'd still like to have you on the- and i was like holy crap because i'd kind of given up nah, i didn't hear from you and i've got enough stuff going on but you go through your text messages as part of the, the networking course course. The other thing that's like so innovative, Jordan, I just love like you use this tool that's used by, you know, I don't want to say the slimiest people know because some of my best friends and relatives are realtors, but, but you use a tool that's really pioneered or invented for real estate agents. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And it's a way to, you know, manage relationships, which sounds really like transactional in itself, but it's beautiful because it reminds me like, oh yeah, not like I'm going to forget to call my mom every, every night or whatever, but it reminds me, wow, I haven't talked to that person at the funding agency who said that they loved, you know, my YouTube video and maybe I can, you know, just, just send, oh, I'm thinking of you and, and, and she'll be just pleased to hear it. And it'll give me a reminder cause I'm not that smart and I can remember everything. So I do want to thank you for that. And these innovative tactics, tricks, and techniques. So that's six minute networking cause five minute networking was taken, was taken yeah. uh, but, but it's a brilliant scheme. And I think it's useful for all, uh, all disciplines as including scientists. Because as I said, the reality is that it's 80% your, how you network and, and your soft skills. Next question, uh, Jordan, comes from the movie 2001, which is based on the book 2001 uh, by Sir Arthur C. Clarke, uh, who is the uh, namesake of our center here in San Diego. And you remember, if you, I assume you've seen the movie or you know some of the- Is that, iconic- I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, so okay. the, open, oh, the opening scene and throughout the movie version that Kubrick did, there are these monoliths or these kind of like huge objects on the plains of Africa three million years ago that some primates find. And then they fi- astronauts find them on the moon. And it's sort of meant to be like a time capsule or something placed by an ancient civilization, perhaps as a warning, perhaps as, as, as an aphorism or advice or, or whatever um, to human beings that they will discover when they are technologically advanced enough to discover cover it perhaps in the case of going to the moon you know we couldn't see this monolith on the moon until we went to the moon and we had technology to go to the moon at least as this uh, as the book and the movie are, are portraying it i want to ask you if you had a billion year time capsule that was going to encapsulate everything that you know human beings or everything that's important to you that you want to be kind of the time capsule that represents earth to last for a future version of earth or an alien civilization to discover what would you put in the monolith on the monolith, you know, uh, a floppy disk. What, what would you do with that monolith if you had that opportunity? Wow. Jeez. This is for like a future civilization to discover? Mm-hmm. 
are they they're more technologically advanced than we are or they're just starting over and they happen to like, find this no well yeah they'll happen to find it you know you'll put it there you guarantee this thing is going to last for for a billion years actually i had andrurian on my show and she was the wife of the late great carl sagan again a picture of him and uh she actually put her brain waves and music and sentences on a golden disc attached to the voyager spacecraft which will go out into the uh deep reaches of interstellar space for five billion years she says um so she had this time capsule and that was what she put on in her brain waves and so i guess i'm asking yeah somebody will find it someday you don't know who what would you put on it to as a as a token of the existence of of you of humankind of uh the greatest messages on uh that there are to answer i don't have any kind of deep answer to that I, <laughs> okay. I, not even anything i say is going to be even beyond trite like oh i put some advice on like who the hell wants to hear from me <laughs> i think at best we can be like don't come to this planet we are busy ruining it and we're probably right. just going to have people <laughs> shoot you if you land here just i've had astrophysicists say basically that yeah warning do not enter yeah right. like okay. wait another couple hundred thousand years and either we'll all be dead or we'll have figured <laughs> it out by now or we'll have robot overlords that are like we don't let the humans do anything they're a bunch of idiots <laughs> yeah we, we took those powers away and gave yeah. them to uh elon no. musk all right the last one hopefully it's a little bit easier also relates to uh sir arthur c clark and it's actually the reason for the name behind this podcast into the impossible is arthur's uh third law his first law is the only way to uh there's uh <laughs> sorry the um uh oh man why am i blanking on this uh i'm gonna say a second law let me say a second law first um the second law is that for every expert there's an equal and opposite expert uh, his third law is the only way to discover what is possible is to venture beyond the limits of the possible into the impossible and i want to ask you of all the setbacks and failures and recoveries etc that you've gone through what things seemed impossible to you as a younger person maybe in your 20s maybe in your 30s uh that now seems possible because you went ahead and did it oh i mean i never thought i could start my own business mm. and i accidentally almost I should say, almost accidentally started my own business, you know, with the show here, with the Jordan Harbinger show. But I always thought business owners were either people that had like some sort of specialized education or had, or they started a restaurant or, or something like that. I never really understood how it, it always was like this other class of person that could own a business. You know, it wasn't me. It wasn't what our family did. It didn't make sense. I was just going to get a job. I would never actually own anything. I'd never actually be like the boss of anything or control something. And then I started doing what I really enjoyed. And I was like, oh, you can carve your own path. I mean, talk about something that is just not taught to kids in the United States, surprisingly, mm -hmm. right? Like we're this land of free thinkers and we're <laughs> like, everybody do their own thing. And like, this is, you know, don't let, listen to the man. And then it's like, oh, but just kidding. You, not you though. You should listen to the man and you should not do your own thing. You should be a good little worker bee. So I was a good student. And when you're a good student, you are taught to try not to think for yourself, just work really hard for someone else. And I'm like, that is such a sucker's play, yeah. you know, like, starting your own business Horrible. all the time. It's weird because you get out of school and they're like, be a good employee during the whole time you're in school. Then you get out of school and then suddenly you look at what the government wants you to do. And it's like, oh no, we want tax structures for business owners. We want people to start businesses. <laughs> we encourage small business ownership. We really want people to start and be productive members of the economy. And it's like, what was the last 12 years of bullshit you gave me about like, be a good worker, be show up at the bell, quit at the bell. Right. You know, what, what was all that about? On and time is kinda, late. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. on time is, and it's kind of like, Oh, well, you know, that works for some people. And it's like, so you, you just really want the most stubborn mm. people 
who've failed for the last 12 years and whose parents have like all but given up on them. Those yeah. are the people you want to start businesses. You don't want all the smart people that are like have tons of potential. You want to lock those people in a room and have them yes. like doing financial accounting for a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? What's wrong with you? Wow, Jordan. Well, I want to thank you so much. I'm sorry I kept you over. Uh, I know it's a busy time for you. I just want you to know how much gratitude I have for you and everything that you do. You've been inside mm -hmm. my ears for over a decade. I appreciate uh, that. Watch wow. you uh, deliver so much uh, value, as they say in the industry. But um, but you're really a role model for people, young and old. And I want you to keep doing what you're doing and have the greatest success uh, with the other two J's in your life. And I, I wish you uh, a wonderful weekend. I thank you so much for being on the show, Jordan. Thanks for having me on, man. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. If you enjoyed this episode of Into the Impossible, please subscribe, comment, share, rate, and review. For a chance to win a free copy of our most recent guest's newest book, send a screenshot of your review to info at imagine.ucsd.edu. We appreciate hearing from you and are always open to your suggestions for future episodes. For more information, go to imagination.ucsd.edu. Find us on Twitter at ImagineUCSD. Watch us on YouTube. Listen on iTunes. Into the Impossible is a production of the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination in the Division of Physical Sciences at the University of California, San Diego. Eric Veery, Director. Brian Keating, Co-Director. Patrick Coleman, Associate Director. Produced by Stuart Valko.